Welcome to We the Women. This is our celebration of the 19th Amendment. Exactly 100 years ago, on August 18, 1920, the 19th Amendment was ratified, giving women the right to vote. To celebrate, we'll be talking to women from around South Carolina, thought leaders, movers and shakers. We'll ask them about how they have used their voice and what they have done to contribute to our great democracy. Enjoy the conversation. In this episode, Post and Courier City reporter Michaela Porter interviews Lisa Wells, Vice President and Director of Watershed Services with W.K. Dixon and Company. Thank you for joining us today, Lisa. You're welcome. Appreciate taking the time to come down from Greenville. Um, yeah. Kind of a drive. How far away? It took about three hours. Three hours. Yeah. Gotcha. But I talked all the way, so it was all right. <laughs> um, now, you are the leading stormwater engineer for W.K. Dixon in Greenville. Yeah, so I am the uh, Watershed Services Director for W.K. Dixon. So W.K. Dixon is a Southeast firm. We have about 175 employees. And specifically, I have a group of folks, it's about 30 or so, that I work with delivering watershed services, which is stormwater work, flooding work, water quality work. Uh, And it's my role to kind of direct the practice of that and what that looks like, both in, in our technical expertise uh, and the opportunities that, that we pursue and then the clients that we work with and then delivering those services to them. What's a typical day for, for you like in your job? Yeah. Well, you know, it's really different with the pandemic. Uh, I used to was spending a lot of time on the road uh, trying to engage with our clients and you have to kind of be in the area to kind of understand and get to know your client and meet them face to face. And since the pandemic, not so much. People have really learned how to adjust. We have as a company, we adjusted very quickly because we always already did so much of that. But then even with our clients, we're finding a lot of our municipal clients have embraced Teams and Zoom and all those ways to, to communicate. Uh, so I'm if I'm not on the road or when I am on the, the road, either way, I'm engaging with both our staff and helping them kind of solve problems and figure out how we're going to approach uh, a flooding problem or a stormwater program, and then on the other side, talking with clients about how we can help them, you know, what their needs are, um, what they what keeps them up at night, so that we can help them deliver better services to their constituents. Flooding's a big issue here. It's a main concern for a lot of people living, especially on the peninsula, um, and in a lot of the neighborhoods off the peninsula too. So um, you're like a, a hero for, for folks, you know, like you're, you're, the work you guys are doing is very valued and very focused on. Um, yeah. So what, what does your job entail? Like, what do you, um, are you going out uh, into ditches? Like, what, tell me a little bit about, or maybe you've done that before. Well, th- yeah, thankfully I don't do, I don't have to do that much anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I do that sometimes. Um, so in the, in the practice, so over my, my years of working, Especially in the beginning, I spent time in the field on construction sites. I, I did design work. So you're sitting in the office and you're crunching some numbers and figuring out you know, how, to, how to size a pond or how to develop a site and, and solve those problems. So I've, I've done some of that. I also, before I came to work for W.K. Dixon, I worked for the city of Greenville, South Carolina, in their stormwater program and did a lot of work there that was more programmatic, a lot like what the city of Charleston here is doing, but, but on a smaller scale. As you said, the problems here are just tremendous. And so I commend the city of Charleston for really having taking such a, a proactive approach to digging in and saying, we've got to look at this and we have to do it differently. 
So I've done some of that work on their side. And so now, again, what I do is I try to help clients like them deliver their projects and their solutions. So most recently, W.K. Dixon started working on the Barberry Woods Conveyance Project. So we're going to be working in that, in that neighborhood and in that area to try to find a solution for the flooding that happens and to restore some ecological benefit because there's a balance there that we'd love to be able to strike to both protect people from flooding but also enhance the ecological function and the benefit that comes with that for the people that live here. Gotcha. Um, how did you get into stormwater services? It seems like a, a kind of particular niche kind of job. Yeah, it, it's it, everything I've done has been, I haven't planned it, and I think that's the thing that I would say to most young women and young men. We, we start them out in school and we say, okay, you need to pick what you want to do. And we think we think they should know or they think they should know because we asked them. And, and so I didn't really, I didn't follow a specific path. I was always into math and science. So I went into engineering and particularly into civil engineering. That's my background. And when I was in that program, I was drawn to uh, construction, being in the field, doing those things. And I was also drawn to to water, to hydraulics and to hydrology and how that impacts the land. I love nature anyway. So it seemed like a place that, that I wanted to go and wanted to be. So um, I did work kind of as a general civil for a while and uh, moved up kind of in a company that was that had multidiscipline, which is all the engineering services that you would provide. And then I took a break and had some couple kids, uh, worked from home for a little bit, and then felt like I wanted to kind of devote myself full-time to that. And then when I got back into the field, I came back into uh, work with the city sort of just through a relationship, which I think, again, really important to have relationships with folks that, as a, as a role model, as a mentor, particularly for women. And so had a relationship and went to work for the city and then just fell in love even all over again with stormwater and the problems associated with it and the impact and benefit a great stormwater project can bring to the community, both in, again, flooding control, water quality, but all the benefits aesthetically and creating spaces where people can get outside. So I really see that work as a way that I can contribute to the community, you know, not just solve an engineering problem. And it's something that I believe we'd probably have more women in engineering overall if we did a better job of saying, this is taking care of people. This is solving problems for people and making your community better. Because I think a lot of women want that ability to have an impact. You know, that's why uh, you might be drawn to nursing or to teaching because you want to serve your community and you want to create a better place. And so engineering, you can do that too. Uh, And that's what I've tried to do. Uh, in your classes and when you were first starting out, were there a lot of women in your classes? Were you one of a few? Yeah, you know, um, I was one, I graduated from Clemson a lot of years ago um, in late 80s, early 90s is when I was there. And we only had a handful. We had, uh, there were five of us. And it, it's, I don't know that we didn't feel like we had to band together. Um, per se. We had a couple of us that connected, but I think we all really were trying to find our own way and trying to fit into this male-dominated setting. So you'd go into your class, and especially upper-level classes, you're one 
of 20-something men, uh, young men in the classroom. And so uh, we didn't have a lot. I think now I've seen some change. I don't know what the percentages are now with women in engineering. But I think particularly in, in the civil environmental field, I think Clemson has done a good job. It's my alma mater. I think they've done a good job of showing showing students why that's a great field to be in. And they've, they've had a lot more uh, get into, particularly the environmental field, because they want to make that difference. What was that like going into a classroom where you're the only woman there? Was it intimidating or did you think much about it? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't. I was a tomboy uh, growing up and it was just a little bit hard because you know, if we talk about the change, when I was a little girl, I'm left-handed. When I was a little girl, I really wanted to play ball. And my dad could not see the point in buying me a left-handed glove. So I actually throw right-handed because of that, um, because I, I didn't have a glove. So I, I think um, I, didn't, I didn't try to think about it deliberately. I tried to just, again, find my place. I'm a very assertive person, very direct and forthright. And I think I'm strong as a, as a woman and you know, strong-minded. I'm very opinionated, some people might say. So I think that served me well to be able to navigate without being intimidated about the place I was in. I think what I'd like to see for women as we move forward is to not have to be that type necessarily to actually be able to, to be in the field. And that's where I've seen a shift in, in what's going on uh, genera- generationally. Uh, I would have two boys that are both in college, and and they look at things with such a different lens than what I think we did when I was in school. Um, what about like first starting out with with work? Um, and uh, you had mentioned you had been on some construction sites, and do you feel you were treated differently in those s- scenarios because you're a woman? Yeah. So every experience you have kind of builds you and and maybe um, turns you a little bit in a different direction, right? So. When I first got out of school, I got my bachelor's and my master's at Clemson, went straight through. When I got out, I went to work for a contractor because I really wanted that construction experience and wanted to see what that was like, you know, the built environment before I did anything else. And the man that I worked for was adamant that if I was going to make it in construction, I had to be tough. And he wanted to invest in me by making sure I was tough. And so we would have some grueling reviews of um, estimates. I would put together some construction estimates. And, you know, he would just badger me sometimes, just kind of really digging in and being kind of like what you might think about sometimes about when you think about gruff construction folks. And he said, you know, Lisa, I want, if you're going to make it in this business, you have to be tough. And I want to make that happen for you. And he thought he was doing the right thing. You know, he felt like, again, for the time, he, he knew what the construction industry was like and he wanted to kind of help, but it was sort of a, it felt like a really backwards way to help. And it felt like I had to force fit myself into a place versus it, the industry or people in the, in this, in the industry accepting, hey, she's, she's bright, she's talented, she's driven, she wants to be in this field. Let's take advantage of her talent. So, so yeah, that was that was kind of difficult. Like a tough love mentality. Yeah, yeah, and and again, I don't I don't mind that part so much. It was just kind of more the the fact that it had to be that way. The fact that I had to learn to throw right handed, or that 
that you have to be tough and be that sort of um, have that hard edge to be in the industry. The pressure to adapt. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, so now uh, at WK Dixon, uh, are there a lot of women in your office there? Yeah, we ha- we have several. Um, I, I will say, you know, the thing that I figured out, which again, this is sort of some advice. I tried to think about what would I want younger women to know. When I was only with that contractor for a year, and thankfully, because of the economy, I was I was laid off. I was let go. I wasn't going to quit. There's no way I was quitting. You know, I wasn't going to let him get the best of me. But um, I got laid off, and I went to work for another company that was the multidiscipline design firm that I mentioned. And the cultural difference in that company was huge. Um, the president of the company, Paul O'Neill, so O'Neill Incorporated, and um, Paul had a he had a strong wife who had helped him build his company, Paul and Judy O'Neill. So she worked there too, and he he embraced women. He embraced that diversity to to let's let's bring some different thought in. Let's bring in people who might engineer a different way. And so that on the heels of my first year, I spent the next several years with with O'Neill, having a different you know, being being treated differently in that way. You know had the door was open to go see the president and tell him, you know, what I think. It doesn't mean that I still didn't have some, some times when there were interactions where I felt like they're not listening to me or I'm having to conform in a different way. But, but the difference in that culturally was huge. And so similarly at W.K. Dixon, and when I decided that I wanted to leave the city and kind of go a different direction, you know, they were a company who culturally, they care about their people and they care about you know, meeting the needs of their people and helping the people grow. And so we do have, we have women there and diversity is very important, you know, to be sure we're listening and to be sure that we are um, get, taking advantage of all the skills and the differences in perspective and talent that diversity can bring you in the work environment. The Intertech Group and the Zucker family are proud to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. Now, I kind of want to change gears a little, if you don't okay. mind, and talk a little bit. Um, in addition to kind of giving back to your community um, through engineering projects and um, shaping the environment to help with flooding and drainage and um, keeping ecological value, I hope I said that word correctly, yep, good. Um, you also serve on the school board. Um, so I do, yeah. How long have you served on the school board? So this is my 10th year my 10th year. And it's definitely the last few months has been the toughest because of the pandemic and, and just the, the concern around how we're going to, how we're delivering educational services. Uh, and that too was not something that I thought I would do. Never really thought I wanted to be a politician and still don't think I am, although some people tell me differently. But what happened is when I, when I stopped working for a few years to have my children and to raise my children, I still had a desire to be a leader and to have an impact. And so I shifted that energy from trying to have an impact in engineering to trying to have an impact in other ways that intersected with my with my children. What was um, campaigning like getting into that, getting involved? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I came onto the school board uh, kind of late in the game in terms of signing up to run. So I really didn't have a, uh, a game plan, if you will. I had spent... 10 years before, you know, in the 10 years before I got on the school board, I'd spent my time volunteering in the community, PTAs, school improvement councils, 
um, Boy Scout troops, children's ministry teams. So I had really tried to establish that in the, you know, myself as a, a leader and a servant in the community. And so when I decided to run, part of what I said is, I've done this for you in your community, and I see some changes that I'd like to influence for you in the school setting, and I'd like for you to support me in doing that. So my race was a six-way race because there were no, the incumbent uh, pulled out and decided not to run. So there were six of us on the ballot. So that was for one seat. Yeah, yeah. And I'm proud to say I got that, won that vote by 42, I had 42% of the vote. Uh, and and took the seat in that way and was proud of that because a lot of people don't have any idea who their school board member is or what the school board does uh, until they get mad, you know. Um, now, I, I'm speaking kind of about Greenville, so I'll qualify that because you know, it's different across the state in different places. But um, it, you, you, you know, t- about back to voting, you know, one of the things that particularly with school board, but really with a lot of the positions that people run for, so many voters go into the voting booth and don't know what's on their ballot, don't know who's on their ballot, haven't looked at the people. So they're going in and they're looking at names that they've never heard of and they don't know, but they feel like they got to make a choice, and so they do. So um, I was proud that I was able to kind of get that much, you know, get that many votes then. And I've run twice since then, so I'm in my third term. I've had competition um, both times, but it's just been one, one person each time. And so each time I run, I'm, I'm thankful, more thankful to re- be able to serve my community in this way. Because it really is a privilege to be an elected official. When you're, when you're out of the campaign season now, um, I'm sure thankfully, right? Um, I know it's kind of grueling depending on um, what it's like, but it, are you door knocking? What, what, what was your approach to it? Yeah, you know, I think um, for me, my role in the community is the thing that I sort of hang my hat on. Mm-hmm. And... I just do the best job I can and then say when we get to the four-year mark or the three-and-a-half-year mark, uh, you know, I've said, this is what I've done for you in the last four years. I want to continue to do it, and here's how I want to do it. And so I'll do that. I I never did a lot of door knocking. I did a lot of community, you know, going to the community, going to the football games, going to the PTA meetings, those kinds of things, Uh, talking to people wherever I was, you know, in the grocery store or so that was sort of more the way I've approached that the campaigning and that work. Again, it's a school board seat, so it's a little different than kind of a higher state level seat. It's nonpartisan, which I've I've enjoyed even more so because it really is about people just want to know what are you, what are you going to do for the for the school district and for education and for, for Greenville County in our in our case. So, and now you're serving as vice chair, correct? I'm vice chair right now. Yeah. Um, when you first came on the board, were there other women serving? Yeah. So in in school board work, I think that's a place where, because there's so many women in education, I, you see more uh, women on sitting in school board seats. You don't have the same sort of um, unbalancedness, if you will, between the the people on the board and what you find in the community. So there are good many women and, and strong women. Um and, I, and I'm thankful for that because I learned a lot from the women that were there about how to be a great school board member. And a lot of them had, had experiences um, that shaped kind of how they went about their work. Leola Robinson Simpson is now in the state house, but she was on the Greenwood County School Board then. And you know, listening to her shaped a lot of how I thought about things. Um, if you listen closely to people, 
it will it will always change your perspective a little bit. You know, you won't you don't necessarily a lot of people ideologically maybe they don't change much from where they are, but I think if you're willing to listen to other people and their perspective, it can always give you kind of a, a deeper sense of how you go about doing your work. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, have you had challenging experiences serving on the school board that maybe your male counterparts haven't experienced before? Yeah, you know, I think I wouldn't say that necessarily. What what I would say you find is that even now there's sometimes an unintended bias, if you will, uh, maybe a blind spot where your your male counterpart might not understand that they they're they're interacting with you differently because of of your gender, but it's kind of there. It's it's subtle. It's a lot more subtle than you know what what I saw early in my my career and you know going on the construction sites and dealing with whistling and cat calls and all those kinds of things. So I I think the difference is that now it, it is more, it's just it is more subtle, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be you know sort of talked about and and addressed. And so I have had some situations where I felt like because I was advocating for something and I'm advocating for that position as a as a mother and you know as a as a volunteer in the community that that wants to see you know something particular happen with children and I get very passionate about it I don't mind admitting I've shed a few tears sitting in the boardroom you know I'm passionate I get choked up and I'll have a few tears come out um, but then sometimes I think I've in that interaction if I'm pushing hard for something I've gotten a little bit of pushback in a different way than maybe what my male counterparts would. But then when you when you talk about that, again, I, I don't have the conversation and say, hey, this happened between us and here's how you responded to me. And I'm not sure that you would have responded the same way to somebody else, you know, to our male board member or even in the community. Um, and again, that's just an opportunity to open up the eyes of, of someone that, okay, well, maybe I do need to think about that. I don't think that's what I did. That's usually, I don't, I don't think that's what I did. But then it at least causes them to have a little reflection on it. Is it gotten easier to, I'm guessing the first time calling someone out for acting in that like maybe subtle way is kind of uncomfortable. Has it gotten easier to have those conversations or what, what is that? Cause it, it feels like an uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, I think certainly my age has something to do with it. Uh, you, you know, you, you, with age comes, experience and wisdom and you don't second guess yourself that it's the right thing. I wasn't really big on speaking up, you know, for other people necessarily in my career. Uh, and looking back now, I, I think there's more to that that I should have done. But I never had a lot of problem with speaking up for myself. What I found I did not do very well in the, in the early days is having those kind of quiet conversations about Hey, here's how our interaction is going. So I was willing in the, in the early years to kind of fight it, you know, fight for it, or speak up and, and defend myself. Or, but I wasn't really uh, wise enough to know that I needed to sort of have a quiet conversation because, again, I think so much of it is unintended. I think people can't see how they're treating people differently or what their bias is. Um, I was fortunate enough to go through Furman University's Diversity Leaders Initiative, 
And that was such a great experience because it's all about finding out what your blind spots are and thinking about what the unintended consequences are of the way you interact, the way you run your business, the way you lead a community. And those exercises of having conversations with a really diverse group of people in a really safe space and allowing you to say something that otherwise you would go, did I just say that? You know, because people are just so concerned. They want to they want to communicate, but they're really concerned they're not going to be heard properly or heard like they, they intend to be heard. So that experience was just phenomenal and kind of helped push me to a place where I know now how to have those quiet conversations. I know how to to make you know, make a ripple that can have a have a lasting effect and again push push us in a different direction, whether it's a company or a school district or any other things I'm engaged in. Gotcha. How um, serving on the board now with the pandemic? How is that? How is that? Oh gosh, it's it is it's the hardest of the ten years. It's I've spent hours. And hours and hours on the phone and um, emailing people, and I get it. People are frustrated; they they don't have any control. And I think it's 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 my role, and I learned this from my dad. My dad told me it's a he's a minister, and so when I was a kid, he said, "Lisa, you live in a fishbowl. When you live in a fishbowl, people are going to examine you. They're gonna they're gonna criticize you and." It's your role. It's the role you're in as a, as a preacher's daughter. And so similarly, in this whole time, it's been the same kind of thing that we, we I, people are upset and I need to hear from them. I need to give them voice and I need to listen. Now, that doesn't mean I react either to them if, they don't, if I don't agree with what they're saying or to react, to respond to what they're saying specifically as an action. So it, it's, been, it's been tough. The, where we are right now in general, everyone is is worried, I think. Everyone just really doesn't know what the next step is going to be or how long this is going to last, and particularly in education, how do we ensure that our students don't get behind? So it's it's been quite a, quite a ride. And there, there's so much work to do. This whole shift, the way we're delivering educational services, it was a direction I think of a lot of us were moving into, and we knew we needed to, you know, both higher ed and K-12. But it has been such an accelerated pace because of the need for it right now. And I, I commend our administration and really school districts across the state that have been working 12 to 14 hours a day since March trying to figure out how to be sure we meet the needs of students. Because you know, it's not just education. It's education and it's, it's the food and it's um, you know, health services that they've been provided, both mental health services and, and physical services in some cases, uh, protecting them from from home environments that might not be the best. So, yeah, it's been a, it's a tall task. It's been a little. I've never felt really overwhelmed by the school board work, but there've been a few couple of days when I felt kind of overwhelmed by it. What did Greenville decide to do? Yeah. So what what we're doing is we have one thing we did is we created a whole virtual academy, uh, which is crazy that they have been able to do that the number of months that they have and allowed people to sign up for that and then we have for folks that want the traditional learning we have a hybrid model where we have a plan zero one two and five where they can go uh, anywhere from they may go zero days if we have a very high spread rate and and it's accelerating and increasing to five days a week Uh, the problem is 
every everyone has said we want kids back in school five days a week, which is what we want, but they need to come back safely. And so bringing them back safely, meeting social distancing re- requirements has really been the struggle. So in Greenville, we had 76,000 students and 23,000 of those signed up for our virtual academy because they wanted, I think, the consistency, wanted to know what they were getting. So then even that was a scramble because now we have to get enough teachers to teach virtually who might really want to just be in the classroom. So because it's uncharted waters, and I think we all, if we all can kind of come from, come from the perspective that none of us asked to have a pandemic, no, no one wanted to be in this situation, but we can keep working together and keep talking about it and find the best solution. Would you say this has been the most challenging experience in your school board tenure? Yeah, it definitely has. I, I've done some other I've I've done some other things that I thought were difficult or hard. You know, trying to push for change. Again, we have 76,000 76, students, so we're the largest district in the state. So we've done some challenging things before, but nothing that's been as sustained and sort of draining as this, knowing that you're not going to come up with a solution that meets all the needs and solves all the problems. W.K. Dixon specializes in creative engineering solutions to help make our local communities better, safer, and sustainable places to live. Having served community infrastructure needs for nearly a century, W.K. Dixon knows that great design and great people make for great communities. What are some other challenging um, times serving on school board? Are there certain votes that stand out? Yeah, well, I think there's been, it's it's for me, because I ran for school board because I wanted to have an impact and make a change. I'm not, I'm not ever really happy just to kind of sit and observe and, you know, go along. So for me, there have been many times where I pushed for, for I continued to push for something that I believe we really needed. And whether it's in budget time where I'm saying we need more, mental health professionals, we need more guidance counselors, or if it's when we're talking about facilities and I'm pushing to get a new high school open so that that community can have that high school and so that our kids in our other high schools aren't, you know, sitting on top of each other. There have been a lot of different challenges, but they've been kind of mini mountains, you know, things that I've been able to push for. And a lot of it doesn't happen overnight. And I think that's the, that's probably the, the wisdom and the lesson that I've learned over over my life is you don't have to have it all at one time, but you've, if you stick with it, you just keep pushing. So in, sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's just asking the right question at the right time, presenting the right information. And even though it won't happen overnight, you can make that, make that push and make that change. Gotcha. Um, what are some things that you're most proud of, either in your professional working um, environment or your professional school board um, serving environment? Yeah, so um, I'm so I'll try not to get emotional. So I am most I'm most proud of my family. See, I get, I get emotional. Um, you know, I'm mom to two boys, and I never people go. I, I never I never was one of those people who said, "Yeah, I'm gonna get married and have a family and have kids." It didn't really it wasn't on the radar for me. Just not something that I thought about doing. I'm very driven. I'm interested in, in things and. So when I had my, my first child in particular and decided I'm not going back to work in the office, that I'm gonna, I'll work from home, which in that time, that was 98, was unheard of. You, you, 
you know, people didn't have internet at their home still. It was just kind of coming. So um, I said, I can't go back. I've got to do this. And so I um, worked for home for a while, which was, again, O'Neill was a great company because of that to work with that. And, and similarly, you know, W.K. Dixon's making those adjustments for families. So there's a kind of a theme there with the, the companies that I work for. Um, but I had a second child and just felt like, you know, this is what I'm going to pour myself into these kids. So that's, I'm, I'm very proud of that, that I, that I took that pause, if you will. But what I think is important for women in particular, I know a lot of, we, we had this conversation certainly when I was younger about, well, you can't do it all. So you have to choose. And then there was, we well, shouldn't have to choose. You should be able to do it all. And then you have women that are trying to do it all. And, and some do it well, and they have the right supports in place, and they, they have the right, um, you know, the type, right type of job or, you know, however they approach their, their parenting. But for me, I didn't, I didn't want to, didn't know I didn't want to do it that way, but I didn't want to do it that way. And so when I took that pause and took that time to raise my children, there was kind of this concern that, well, what if I can't get back? To my career, you know, I'm going to be in the back seat. Um, my husband's an engineer as well, and he continued to work for his company. We made the decision, kind of for our family, okay, we can afford for me to stay home, and that allows you to continue um, in your career, and that'll that'll be good for the family. Um, but because I continued to be a leader and find ways to be a leader, even as a stay-at-home mom, and imagined that I could do that, that I can lead in the community and not be a professional right now. That really is what I think helped me easily then make that transition back. And I feel like I haven't missed a beat, that I was able to dig back in, um, get my feet back under me, immediately uh, deliver, benefits to the people I was working for, whether it was the city of Greenville or, or now W.K. Dixon or another consultant that I'd worked for. So um, I think I'm proud of that whole circuitous path that I've taken. Um, I'm proud of my school board work because I do think that I've brought things to the table. And I've at some point when I, whenever I move on, I'll probably make a list of the things looking back that I had an impact on, like mental health counselors and, and more guidance counselors to really meet the need of our students' social and emotional well-being. So I'm really proud of that. And I'm proud of where I am now, you know, being able to be in a leadership position, um, being recognized by W.K. Dixon and by the, the leadership there as someone that brought talents and skills to the table as a, as a female engineer. I do think female engineers think about things a little differently sometimes. I think they have a different perspective. And sometimes, you know, I think more female engineers are creative than male engineers are creative. So not to say that one is and one isn't, but I think you find that more. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot, there's a lot that I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, we have you here today uh, to uh, talk about 100th anniversary or recognition of women's right to vote. Yeah. Um, Where do you think things stand for women today? Where do you think things need to go? Yeah. Well, as I said, I think in in my lifetime, we've come a long way. 
the, the, the whole right to vote. I'll be honest, my, my parents, we didn't really talk about voting. And I think my parents probably voted in every presidential election, but I don't think they got involved in any others. But for me, from a young age, I wanted a voice. And I wanted a voice any way I could get it. And so one of those was, was being able to vote. And so I'm very thankful that I never had to worry about would I be able to or not. You know, I had that, that opportunity. But in my lifetime, I've also seen some other things that have followed on behind that. You know, so the, the Citadel, the issue with the Citadel and, and now accepting women, that's um, something that I've seen happen. I think, I think we're in a good place. Again, I think genera- generationally, the young men that are coming up now have a different perspective of what women can do because of role models they they have seen and they, the things they've seen women accomplish. So I'm very thankful that that's been the case. I think where we still need to go is allowing women to be um, women and still do those things that have traditionally been in you know, a, a male's uh, purview or, you know, places where they, they tend to be more. I think the unintended bias, trying to deal with that is something that I, I wish we could, we could work on. I would love for more young women to be able to come into engineering and not feel like they have, they have to do it a certain way. I'd like for them to be able to come in and it be an environment that they fit as easily into as themselves, whoever they are, as anyone else. And I think that has to come with getting in the field, you know, being, being when, you, when you have more women in the field. And so it's kind of, you know, it, it's a conundrum. How do, you, how do you make that happen for women if you don't have women in the field to help make that adjustment? And you can say the same thing with diversity, you know, any diversity issue. The problem is how do you get to the point where the tipping point where things do change? So I'd, I'd like to see us get get to that tipping point. I think we're we're a lot closer to that. It's been really subtle over the years, and again, I think it's generational. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I'd like for us. Gotcha. Um, you brought up a few times during the interview talking about uh, advice for women, but if if you wouldn't mind sharing again some advice for women who might be considering um, going into engineering or stormwater services or running for a local school board. Um, I know it's a little yeah. all over the place, but yeah. advice that you have for, yeah. for young women. Well, I think I would say find a way to use your voice. That's what I think women need to do. I would stop short of saying you can do anything you want to do because it's just not reality. You know, I, I think you can't just follow your dreams because your dreams you may not be able to get there. So I think for me, I would say to, to young women in particular, find a way to use your voice. Don't be afraid to fail. And don't be afraid to do something differently than someone's done it before you, whether that's a woman or a man or whatever. It's being willing to kind of step out and I think it's really important to find your role model. And again, that doesn't have to be male, female. It's about finding someone who does things that you look at and say, I like those things. 
Um, for me, I met my first female engineer, real life, well, yeah, first real life female engineer while I was at Clemson uh, in Greenville, South Carolina. And her name's Gay Sprague. And she has a consulting engineering firm. And it was a husband wife team. Her husband was an engineer. And I remember thinking, she is the coolest, you know, if engineers can be cool, I guess, if we can be cool. But she, she was just, when I met her and I saw that she had her own firm with her husband and they were consulting engineers, I just thought, gosh, this is fabulous. And yet she was the most, she's the most wonderful, sweet, southern, you know, genteel person you would want to meet. And she's just very, um, you know, would do anything in the world for you. You know, so she didn't have that hard edge. So you go, oh, wow, that's kind of interesting. So over the years, she's been my role model and actually my mentor in some way. She ran for, for Greenville City Council and sat on city council for a few years. And so when I got ready to run for school board, I called her and said, hey, I might do this. You know, you've done this and you've been a leader. Tell, talk to me about it. So finding role models and then turning those into mentors, because that's the part I probably should have been more deliberate in. Finding someone that you can talk to about, hey, I want to think I want to do this. Here's my crazy thing I want to do. And having them talk you through it to help you take something that's sort of maybe a dream of yours and translate it into something concrete. So that's that's the engineer and me talking, I guess. A concrete step that you can take that will kind of lead you to some of the things you can really be excited about. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you. You're welcome. Uh, yeah. down to, to spend time with us today. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited about what you guys are doing. Have you ever had to wait three days for someone to service your copier? Does your office furniture belong in a museum? Are your meetings being disrupted by poorly installed and overly complicated conferencing and AV equipment? The Office People is proud to be the largest local provider of office technology, conferencing systems, audiovisual equipment, and office interiors in the Carolinas. We believe that locals do it better. Contact the Office People, the source for all your office needs. We the Women is a special series of the Post and Courier in celebration of the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. To enjoy all 19 interviews, visit postandcourier.com backslash we the women.